It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, and then you're in the van from Mars and you go out at night in cars. I'm Joe McCormick. And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And our usual host, Jonathan Strickland, is not with us today. He is somewhere. He's in uh, Scotland getting his axe sharpened. I'm not sure whether that's a metaphor or not, but I'm willing to go with it. Quite literal. <laughs> not the mystical axe. Not the mystical. I was hoping not the mystical, mystical axe because the mystical axe is made of plastic. So if he was yeah. having someone sharpen it, that would probably go <laughs> poorly for everyone involved. No, I think he's actually getting a uh, full suit of male armor made. Ooh. I would I would like that. I would appreciate... Oh, man. Imagine if he wore that in the studio. It would make so many interesting noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The shuffling... Yeah, it's great. It would be soothing. Yeah. Do, do you remember the time on this podcast? I'm pretty sure it was on this podcast in the past that we talked about crazy ants. Crazy? I I very dimly remember that. I honestly don't remember what we recorded yesterday. 
<laughs> there, there was some time when we were talking, I know, about crazy ants that are uh, these ants that are sort of known for getting into pe- – like you find them inside your TV. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading all of these weird news stories about this uh, a, f- a few months or maybe about a year back when just these giant populations of ants were taking over people's electronics. Mm-hmm. And so and so the immediate assumption is like the ants are eating my television. Yeah. Why? Were they eating the TV? I don't no. know if they were actually eating the electronics, but they were at least attracted to the electronics or... Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they were swarming inside electronics because, you know, A, they're, they're nice, dark places where they can nest. And uh-huh. uh, and B, like something about the electrical current, I think it was, was was attractive to them. And, and, and then you would find... Oh, was a, it really? Yeah, yeah. And then you would find a lot of dead ones in there because, you know, they would get zapped by the electrical current and, and just fill up the whole space with their bodies. That's pretty cool. Well, I wonder if those crazy ants that supposedly like to eat electronics were on to something because there has been a wave of interesting news in the technology world about edible electronics but not like not like edible electronics like you're eating them for sustenance i mean right surely not because i mean it, really it sounds like a kind of stupid idea to eat any electronics right i mean they're expensive uh more expensive than food usually they're they're crunchy in yeah. ways that you don't want your food to be uh, they probably don't taste all that good to begin with but let me give you a scenario in which you may in fact decide that you want to eat some electronics i'll lay out the options for you oh okay let's say that uh give, you, give me the menu yeah, yeah. you're you're going in for a checkup with your doctor Okay. And your doctor, she looks you over and she says, you know, just to be safe, I'm going to need to take a look at the inside of your lower GI tract and uh, inspect the inner lining of your colon for polyps and cancer. Okay. I, I can see many situations in which I would want to make sure I don't have cancer in my lower gastrointestinal tract. Right. And the obvious way of going about this is something you may very well be familiar with. It's tube endoscopy, or also known as the colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. You're probably familiar with this procedure. It's a tube. It's got a camera on it. It's inserted into the colon. Through the rectum. Up, yeah. Fed up uh, along the lower tract of your intestine and allows the doctor to take a look around. And yes, a procedure like this could save your life. So if it's recommended by your doctor, it's worth getting. Absolutely. You probably go along with what they say to do. Totally. Uh, despite any perceived discomfort and embarrassment. Right. Uh, but what if you had another option other than the tube? Let's say that your doctor says, okay, you can get the tube or you can just take a pill. And it works like this. You swallow a clear plastic capsule containing a camera and an LED, and this ingested imaging device can travel through your entire GI tract, taking thousands of pictures as it goes along, and then transmitting those pictures wirelessly to a receiver device worn on the outside of the body. Now, the crazy thing is, this actually exists, and it's known as capsule endoscopy. Uh, For many patients, it is obviously a much less troubling proposition than tube endoscopy. Well, and it's also hypothetically an outpatient treatment. When you go in for a colonoscopy, you have to, uh, like, get an IV and get knocked out and spend, you know, 24 hours beforehand preparing, although I'd imagine that, that... that you would also have to prepare for this kind of situation, too. Yeah, somewhat. But it, but, it is but yeah. obviously lower investment on your part. Yeah, not having to put someone under anesthesia is always preferable. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure how much such a 
procedure stacks up against the imaging power of a traditional colonoscopy today. I found one study back from 2009, so, uh, you know, that's like oh, seven years ago now? Crazy. Uh, that, oh, that, showed, that was seven years ago. <laughs> that oh, showed that's fine. back then traditional that's colonoscopy okay. was more sensitive. Uh, so if your okay. doctor recommends you go with the tube, best to do as they say. But let's say we just imagine a scenario where these two procedures are same cost, equally effective and you can get equally good imaging from either one who wouldn't go with the pill most people would go with the pill right so having a good capsule contained camera that can take pictures inside the body is one thing Um, but as far as i'm aware existing endoscopic capsule cameras are not meant to actually be digested they're meant to pass all the way through you uh, and then once they go outside the digestive system intact, they're, you know, you flush Recovered them down the toilet. or flushed, yeah. yeah you, typically, you don't have to recover them. They'll transmit images to some kind of receiver, and then you don't have to go fish it out. Uh, <laughs> but if one were to get stuck or damaged inside you, that would be a bad thing. You might need some surgery to get it removed. Uh, so these little pill machines might be considered only semi-edible. Uh, sure. And, and, and right, you really don't want that capsule breaking open because most of the things that electronics are made of, uh, and I kind of meant to mention this earlier, aren't good for you. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, b- but what if you could eat tiny electronic machines that could do work inside of you and then even potentially be digested and absorbed without causing any harm to your body? This is the subject of today's episode. Yes. Edible electronics. Edible electronics. So as weird as this sounds, it probably also sounds fairly futuristic, but it's not an entirely new concept. This isn't something that just showed up in the past few years. Oh, yeah. And and every time that the, that the science news media reports on it, it's like brand new, but it's not. Um, uh, well, OK, totally edible electronics don't exist yet, but the underlying research into them has been going on since at the very least 1980. Uh, 1980 is the first the, the earliest paper that I could find from an albeit brief search into uh, ingestible electronics, which mm-hmm. is kind of the precursor here. Right. Um, That's like that uh, the, the capsule endosco- endoscopy. 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 Great words. It is. <laughs> I love words. Um, uh, that, that 1980 paper was a study of how the body reacts when weights are lifted in different ways. And, uh, and a swallowed sensor was measuring uh, pressure happening inside the abdomen during huh. the study. So interesting. Um, I've seen, I've seen other science news cite the 1970s as the beginning of this kind of research. Hmm. So it's a possibility that it's been going on for longer than that. Uh, but definitely ingestible biosign trackers have been used in labs since 1988. Uh, and, and ingestible biosign trackers have been commercially available since 1988. That is when a temperature sensor hit the market, which is useful for getting accurate readings on a subject's core body temperature when the subject is, you know, doing stuff and not available to sit around with a thermometer in their mouth. Also, thermometers in the mouth are not necessarily the most accurate version of getting a subject's core body temperature, which can come in very handy when you're trying to do something like, say, prevent the injury of an athlete or an astronaut from heat exhaustion and, and heat stroke. Hmm. Uh, the, the technology was actually developed by the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab and NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center uh, with, with the specific goal of 
putting these capsules in astronauts when they go out on spacewalks and make sure that they're not overheating in their spacesuits. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so but that does sound like a like a uh, highly specialized usage there. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and, and even in the case of of competitive athletes, making sure that those that those people are not getting heat strokes as well is specialized. Many of us, I understand, are not competitive athletes. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not. Does competitive eating count? <laughs> are you competitive about eating? Uh, I Have you entered eating competitions? I, I do enter a kind of like frenzied state whenever I'm made to eat at my desk at work because I'm afraid everybody can hear me chewing <laughs> and uh, I just want to get it over with as fast as possible. I'm afraid that I... I a, I, I sit next to Joe in the office, you guys, and uh, and I've never heard you chew. So you're relatively But safe. have you heard me chew electronics? Because that can get quite no. loud. Yeah, that's much crunchier. Okay, so this kind of work has only been the beginning. Yeah. Uh, there, there's been a, a huge body of this kind of research, and we wanted to talk specifically about the work of one Christopher Bettinger, who has done just a lot of really great thought and writing about this. Yeah, he showed up on uh, on this topic recently. So he's a Carnegie Mellon professor, uh, Christopher Bettinger, and uh, he's he's worked with the idea of edible electronics for a while now. So he imagines, for instance, a sensor that you could swallow that would be able to monitor the state of your gut by looking at the state of your microbiome or checking for signs of GI problems like Crohn's disease or uh, or bacterial infections in the gut. Or, like, you could take a pill that includes a machine that would monitor your uptake of an ingested medication and track how the drug is being absorbed by the body. Or, for example, like a pill that contains a measured drug payload and then monitors conditions or placement inside your body to selectively release specific amounts of medication uh, based on based on information, not just a dumb dose, but a smart dose. Uh, right. And hey, you know, why stop at swallowing electronics in order to improve healthcare outcomes? Motorola has spoken to the makers of an in- ingestible electronic pill about creating something that serves as an authenticator. So like you don't need to remember a passcode anymore or carry around a ring of keys because electronics around you, like your phone or your laptop or your car, would all know who you are because of this electronic pill that you ate. Oh, I think we've talked about this on the show before because I remembered us talking about uh, the cybersecurity of your personal waste. Right. right. Like, uh, like if there was a pill authentication form, could somebody use your poop to log in as you? <laughs> they, they probably could. That's a nice thought. But anyway, g- going on with uh, with uh, Bettinger's work. So so all those ideas I just said, that that makes sense. That that'd be a cool thing to have. But oh, sure. hold your equines now. Most electronics as we hinted at earlier contain materials that would not be very friendly to the inside of your body. Uh, especially components like batteries, which often contain chemicals that are just intrinsically toxic. You don't want them in you. Mm -hmm. And if one of these toxic batteries gets stuck in your GI tract and does not pass through, this is a problem. It's the same thing we were talking about with the the camera capsule earlier. Like, it's fine if it just passes through as normal. If it were to get stuck or something, that would be bad. You might need surgery. Mm -hmm. But this is why uh, so people in this field have been looking towards ideas of using digestible or biodegradable materials to make these edible electronics out of, like making the electronics themselves inherently 
friendly to your body. Yeah. So Bettinger authored a review in a 2015 issue of Trends in Biotechnology called Materials Advances for Next Generation Ingestible Electronic Medical Devices. And in this review, he sort of he points out a problem with many existing electronic devices meant to go inside the body. How do electronic implants get inside of you? Well, they get in through invasive surgeries, which is always something we should be trying to avoid if possible. All surgery comes with a cost and a small risk to the patient. Uh, but, but once these things are inside the body, then they have to operate in what Benninger calls challenging microenvironments. No, no joke. I guess uh, that'd be the body. Uh, yeah. I mean, essentially, the human body doesn't want stuff that isn't itself inside of itself. Yeah. Generally not. Uh, so then, of course, uh, once they're in there, they can tend to cause bacterial infections and inflammation at the implant site. And so uh, advances in materials and strategies for fabricating electronic devices to go inside the body could help us avoid some of these problems. And ultimately, he's focused on finding new strategies for creating, quote, packaging, circuit design, and onboard power supplies that are benign, non-toxic, and even biodegradable. These all sound like great ideas, uh, but uh, are there are there like categories? Can can we break this down a little bit? Like like is there are are there pathways we can take in order to get there? Yeah, he, he identifies sort of three major trends. Uh, one is miniaturization, so that is sort of self-explanatory, but it's a trend toward devices and device components that are smaller but also use less power, and that's important because power, once you get into extreme miniaturization of technology, uh, as we've seen on the show plenty of times, power is very often a concern. Yeah. So you've got, like, little tiny robots that you want to, you know, make into some kind of swarm that will that will go inside people and control their mind or whatever we're usually researching. Uh, <laughs> these things, one of the big problems with them is how do they talk to each other uh-huh. and how do they, uh, how do they move? But how especially, do they run? Yeah, where does their power come from? Right. Ba- batteries are not the easiest part. Another trend he identifies is, quote, uh, bioresorbable electronics, and that's this main thing toward... Uh, increased knowledge about how to make electronics components out of materials that are transient and biodegradable rather than toxic and indigestible like most batteries and things like that are. And speaking of batteries, biobatteries is the last big trend he identifies. Non-toxic biological materials that can serve as energy storage. And this is one of the keys to ingestible electronics. So let's go back to imagining these uh, these devices that you could swallow. So here's one that might follow from Bettinger's ideas. Mm-hmm. The actual logic circuits in this electronic device are made out of silicon, uh, contained in some sort of biodegradable envelope. Silicon's not going to hurt you. Yeah. Other components, such as antennae, or do we just say antennas now when we're talking about electronics I rather think, than insects? I think we might. Like idiots? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Antennas. I apologize on behalf <laughs> of the language. Uh, components like antennas, they're made out of benign, relatively non-toxic materials like maybe copper or magnesium. Uh, things that are technically essential nutrients in your body and yeah. that could certainly be be worked into an electronic component in doses under the daily recommended value. Right. You're already consuming them. They're already in you. Mm -hmm. Uh, As long as you don't eat a just huge amount of them, they're fine. Yeah. 
so batteries, again, are one of the biggest questions, but Benninger has been working on this problem. And as of last year, I read news that his team had built a battery with an anode made out of manganese oxide, which is a normal, safe mineral found in the body, another one of those, and a cathode made out of melanin, which is another thing naturally found in the body. It's a natural pigment, so you find it in uh, hair and skin. And your eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and in many cases, the liquids inside the body, such as gastric fluid uh, itself, can be perfectly able to function as the electrolyte solution through which current flows between the cathode and the anode. Oh, oh, that's exciting. So it's a, it's like an open battery system. That sounds either exciting or bad. I'm. <laughs> no, I, I I think it's pretty cool. Okay. All right. Cool. Excellent. I'm not I, worried. I'm I, I'm picturing I'm picturing what is probably not the scientific case of just of just your whole stomach like like zapping you continually until the battery runs down. Well, fortunately, these batteries are not capable of that much power, and it seems like they're going to be capable of only a little bit of power, just enough to make it work, right? Uh, yeah, that that's right. I did read a figure uh, in which the the battery this type of battery provided five milliwatts of power for for up to twenty hours, and and that twenty hour kind of figure is a good goalpost that they're looking for because that's about as long as it takes for something to move from your mouth uh, out through your other end. So, so that's a, that's a good hallmark of how long a battery like this should should last for an endoscopic camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it could probably I'm not sure I'm not sure if it could quite power an endoscopic camera yet. It's certainly not enough to like power your smartphone. Yeah. I really love reading the work that Bettinger has been been doing about all of this. It's it's really uh, forward thinking. I feel like we should have some kind of sound cue whenever we mention the show's title in the episode. But um, uh, it's, yeah, it's 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 really it's really interesting um, and and looking towards the future. But but also absolutely describing a lot of what's already going on. Like there are so many laboratory studies that I ran across while we were doing this research that are using these principles in order to to make stuff that people can swallow for laboratory studies. It's mm-hmm. it's it's great. And I and I had no idea that any of this was going on before we went into this. Uh, <laughs> I, I love I love it when I am surprised by all of the science going on in our world. It's strange, yeah. You'd think you'd hear about people eating electronics. You would. You just don't. Huh. Yeah. Well, it, I got another one that's pretty weird. Yeah. How about this? How about eating origami robots? Or <laughs> Why? Okay, okay. I I can I can start. It sounds laughable at first, but then you think origami is nice and folded up, and and sharp sometimes corners. sharp corners, pokey, stab the inside of me. Uh right. No, All, that's not the. Idea. No, that's not the point. Um, no, but I, it could probably unfold and do stuff in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we we've talked about the research of uh, MIT computer scientist Daniela Roos on the show before. Oh yeah, Daniela. Yeah, and she she's known for these origami robot robots, or her group has been doing some really uh, interesting investigation of the concept of edible electronic technology. So for a while now, Roos and her people have been working on these things, these origami robots, shape-shifting robots that can assemble themselves and assume different morphologies when subjected to a stimulus. Uh, For example, you have a flat piece of plastic or layered material that you produce by 3D printing or laser cutting. And then when that material is subjected to some kind of stimulus, say it's baked at a certain temperature or connected to batteries or, or submerged in water or something like that, it will naturally fold into programmed shapes and configurations. Uh, sometimes it can even fold itself in a way that causes 
movement, like the origami robot can bend itself in such a way that it crawls or swims. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and this is totally... We, we did an episode a long time ago about 4D printing. Yeah. And this is the idea behind all of that. Yeah, yeah, similar ideas, definitely. Uh, so uh, how does it do this? Well, how, how, how would you have something that crawls just by bending? Uh, like several of Roos's robots, this uh, robot has several layers of material. So it has a middle layer of material that shrinks or expands in response to temperature. And then scoring on the outer layers of the material uh, determines what shapes the material bends into when the middle layer shrinks. But so in uh, so so how does this go into entering the body? Why would you put one of these in your mouth? Well, <laughs> in the most recent research, scientists from this MIT group and uh, the University of Sheffield and Tokyo Tech teamed up to uh, test an origami robot meant for the inside of the body in a simulated esophagus and stomach. So uh, one of the challenges here is being able to make this bending, gut-swimming robot out of bio-safe materials, right? In the end, uh, they used this biodegradable plastic film for the shrinking middle layer, and that is known as biolefin. And then uh, th- that's the part that contracts uh, and, and powers the movement. And then the structural material, the outer material, was made out of dehydrated pig intestine, <laughs> a.k.a. Which- the natural casing in your sausage. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really gross right up until you think about how delicious sausages are. Uh-huh. And, and, you, and you know that crispy coating on the outside? Mm-hmm. Natural pig intestine. That's right. Oh, yeah. So it's one on, of my favorite things. On your charcuterie board, there may be a robot. Uh, specially prepared by your chef for you, for your stomach purposes. But what would it do? What would you it may do? Ask. Why would you want a biodegradable origami robot crawling around inside your body? Made of dehydrated ping intestine, partially. Yeah. So let's say you accidentally swallow one, a watch battery. Like you do sometimes. Yeah, maybe Stuff you got, happens, uh-huh, okay? You've got your bowl of peanuts right next to your <laughs> bowl of batteries, and <laughs> you can't take your eyes off the season finale of The Bachelor. Oh, my God, what are they going to say next? And so you accidentally <laughs> toss down a fistful of toxic battery discs. Sounds this is, some, this is something that's happened in your house before, yeah? No, I can't say that that I, I've ever watched The Bachelor. But oh, okay. I have eaten batteries. And sometimes <laughs> uh, it, it, it's crazy, but apparently yeah. I've read that this happens around 3,500 times a year in the United States. I, I think primarily in, in young children who okay. who don't know better than to not eat batteries. Yeah, this is candy pretty much. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're shiny. Uh, so here I have no choice but to read a truly sublime quote from the MIT News feature on this research. Quote, Chu uh, Hei, and this is one of the researchers, Chu Hei bought a piece of ham, and he put the battery on the ham, Roos says. Within half an hour, the battery was fully submerged in the ham. <laughs> submerged? Submerged in the ham. <laughs> so that made me realize that, yes, this is important. If you have a battery in your body, you really want it out as soon as possible. That's Daniela Roos speaking. I... Submerged in the ham. Submerged in the ham. And she is 100% correct. That has convinced me. And Submerged in the ham? Yeah. Get that out of me I immediately. Right. If it can do that to ham, think about what it's going to do to my squishy insides. Exactly. This is a reflection of the fact that swallowed batteries <laughs> or other dangerous objects can burn into the walls of the stomach oh, oh, and become lodged and there. Hilarious. I'm, I'm, it's not funny. It's very tragic. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you need to have some way of getting this thing 
thing out of the body. You've got right. to be able to get in and remove it. Okay. And so here's where the origami robot comes in. Okay. How does the origami robot save the day? So you swallow a capsule. And in the research, this is just a piece of ice with the robot folded up and frozen inside. Oh, okay. So it's like a piece of ice capsule. It might be a different kind of thing if you were to actually have something like this in a hospital. But you swallow it. The capsule opens up inside your stomach and then releases the tiny robot. And then the tiny robot can use its bending motion to move around inside the body. Now, somebody on the outside then uses controlled magnetic fields to direct the motion of the robot. Uh, and then the robot moves to the foreign object, maybe the battery that's submerged in the ham inside your stomach. And then it attaches to the battery, lifts it out of the tissue where it's become embedded. And then from there, the robot and the foreign object can be safely passed on through the digestive system. Ah, I can't believe that we've gotten this far in the episode so far without mentioning um, Martin Short and the amazing film In Inner Space. You know, I think I've actually never seen that, though I've talked about it on, on podcasts before. Yeah, I think I there used to be a ride at Epcot Center that had something to do with all of this. There, there was one going inside the body movie that was serious, and then I think one that was a comedy, right? I think the one I'm talking about was the comedy. Okay. I don't think Martin Short does that many serious films. <laughs> I could be wrong. I haven't checked up on him in a while. I'm going to feel really bad if he's dead. I'm not sure. No, he's doing great. Oh, oh, okay. I'm I'm very much relieved. Okay, well, hey, how uh, any other edible electronics you you want to tell me about, Lauren? Uh, yes, one bit of research that we saw that the bit that inspired this episode to begin with actually is about a truly edible electronic component, like digestible, like made out of food. So not just something that can be digested and it's fine. It's uh -huh. something that is meant to be digested. That is mostly entirely meant to be digested, yes. Okay. So, in May of 2016, a team out of Arizona State University published a paper in the journal Advanced Materials Technologies about their lab testing of a supercapacitor made out of food products. Nice. Uh, supercapacitors are a type of like short-term energy storage that can be used to deliver little jolts of power. Um, it's, a, it, it's, it's a battery type component. It's not as powerful as a battery would be, but it's good in certain situations that you don't want to send a battery into necessarily. And uh, yeah, the, the, team, the team used a simulated human stomach to uh, to test these devices in, and they managed to successfully zap and kill some E. coli bacteria. Nice. Pretty cool. And also to power an LED, and also to power an endoscopic camera. So that was pretty cool for about three minutes. Uh-huh. After three minutes, the device was digested by the artificial gastric fluid. Okay. But so how did they do it? Good question. What was their recipe? Was it anything like the ones we've seen already? No. Oh, okay. Uh, no pig intestines at all. Uh, well, okay, they experimented with a bunch of different foodstuffs. Pig intestines may have been involved, but they settled on a, uh, a, a sandwich kind of thing. Okay, so it was a combination of gelatin and cheddar cheese as a protective casing. <laughs> <laughs> um, some the, the electrodes were made out of activated charcoal, uh, which is a stuff that's available in dietary supplements. Oh, do people take the, those those anti hangover pills? People take something like that. Uh, so yeah, activated charcoal bound with egg whites and then dried were the electrode layers. This sounds like bodybuilder. Food. <laughs> 
the the electrodes were were separated by a sheet of seaweed, which was soaked in the electrolyte, which was Gatorade or a Monster Energy drink. Nice. Um, so so ions from the liquid electrolyte could flow through the sheet of seaweed because she, seaweed is you know permeable, mm-hmm. uh, therefore creating a current. But the seaweed is solid enough to prevent the electrodes from making contact with each other. And then uh, sheets of gold leaf, which are used as decoration and high-end pastry and sometimes in Indian food, served as the current collectors to uh, make the whole thing viable. So so they built these devices up like a like like teeny little lasagna raviolis kind of they're just little <laughs> little sandwiches um, moving from the outside to the center it was gelatin sheet cheddar cheese gold leaf egg and charcoal stuff electrolyte soaked seaweed and then out again in in the opposite order a uh, little sandwich and the whole thing uh, e- each of the devices uh, is a little square like a little bit larger than the size of a soy sauce packet and according to the study's principal investigator, Henking Zhang, it, it tastes like cheese. What kind of cheese? Well, I t- presume I mean, cheddar. Ch- cheddar cheese, yeah. Uh, I mean, and actually, actually the, straight, the straight quote from Arizona State University from, from its press release about this whole thing is, is even better than just it tastes like cheese. The quote is, asked what the combination tastes like, Zhang replied, it is cheese. It is cheese. It is cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought you'd like that in particular, Joe. I do like that. <laughs> um, but uh, but but if you're worried that this isn't like weird enough, worry not. They experimented with all kinds of other strange ingredients when coming up with this recipe. A few small examples: MSG, barbecue sauce, Jello, and gummy candies. Oh boy. Uh, in in that same, I, I'm going to object to. So you've listed a lot of foods in uh-huh. talking about this, and I don't know if I consider all of them fully edible. You've named Monster Energy drinks, uh, <laughs> gummy candy. Is MSG a food? Uh, it's a food additive product. Okay. It's made of salt. Yeah, it's made of a lot of is salt. That what accent is? That accent stuff that used to be in people's grandparents' uh, spice oh, cabinets. Oh, I have. I have no idea. I don't think I've heard of that. Huh. I, I missed the accent days. I, I remember thinking it was just pure MSG. It could be wrong. It's a possibility. And MSG is real tasty. I don't get headaches from it. I, I consider myself very lucky. Uh, in that press release, Zhang also said that he, he had a hard time getting the university to reimburse his lab receipts at first because they like just they were like, you're just out there throwing parties. We're not going to reimburse your party receipts for all this barbecue sauce <laughs> and monster energy drink and seaweed sheets. If those are the things that anyone is using to throw a party, by the way, Arizona State U- University, I, yeah. I, I don't, I th- just give it to them. Like, they're, they're honestly not living on a lot. So. That's the chemistry department kind of party. Yeah, yeah. So, all, all of that aside, they, uh, they're continuing their research. They hope to improve the gelatin casing in order to make future iterations of these devices last longer in the digestive tract than mm-hmm. three minutes. Longer than three minutes would be pretty pretty useful. They also want to make it smaller by using a 3D printer to do the manufacturing work rather than making them by hand. And furthermore, they're they're working on a wireless charging system that would let them recharge the device, or you know, assuming that the device lasted longer than three minutes, remotely while the device is inside a human body. Hmm. 
which is one of the cool things about supercapacitors. You can you can recharge them and and have them release that charge many much multiple times uh, more easily than many rechargeable batteries. Huh? Yeah. Cool. Pretty cool. This is quite strange. <laughs> it is, and it and it's terrific because it's it's kind of got a handle on that battery leg of the of the research stool that mm-hmm. we're working. Oh, I'm just not I maybe I shouldn't use the word stool when we're already oh. making lots of metaphors about no, colonoscopies. No, 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 that's a good one. It's stool because if uh, you have a stool that's three-legged, it won't uh-huh. wobble. Sure. And uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice and stable and there were there were two other legs which I'm mostly forgetting about. And but... it's it suggests a platform on which future research can be built. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, okay, so I, I think that actually this, this battery concept, like making a traditional anode-cathode battery out of food might be a little bit more complicated, but, but supercapacitors are, are great in this because they're, they're really quite simple devices, relatively speaking, that only need to do, like, basic chemical work. So they're pretty good candidates for being made out of edible stuff because edible stuff does chemical work anyway. Yeah. Um, now, I'm sure there are a lot of other components in the electronics that you can make out of stuff that won't hurt you, but you probably can't make out of, like, food food. Actual food, yeah. yeah. Like, you're not going to, like, get, like, some popcorn and, like, turn it into a circuit, probably. Uh-huh. I don't know that as far much as we know. about popcorn or about circuits, if we're being super honest. But, uh, yeah, so, so like, well, will we ever be able to build a camera out of food or a radio antenna or a radio emitter? Hmm... Mm. How long until there's an edible phone? <laughs> Never give me an edible phone. I would definitely be hungry, like in the middle of the night, and like go like going to bed, and would just eat it, and then you I, know, and then I wouldn't wake up in the morning because yeah. my alarm clock is my phone. Uh-huh. Everything would be terrible. It would also be unsanitary because you know everybody takes their phone out when they go into the bathroom. <laughs> Okay, no edible phones. That That is not the future of edible, edible electronics. Okay, so I'm going to steal an idea from a random internet comment I saw. Here, here's a thing. Okay, is, Inter- is, is this the future of edible electronics? Yes, yes. I- internet okay. commenter wisdom. Put GPS trackers in foods that you fear may be stolen. And if somebody yanks your lunch out of the fridge at work and eats it without your consent, you can track them down huh. and get that lunch back. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would want to get the lunch back. Well, it might be expensive electronics in there if it's <laughs> worth it. <sighs> uh, uh, no matter what, like like making any. I mean, even if even if we never come around to a point where our laptops are made out of edible stuff, mm-hmm. uh, this this sounding more and more like Willy Wonka. Even if we never get to that point, uh, any kind of process that's going to make devices safer that that are going into bodies that are helping patients uh that that are helping doctors help patients you know get get over terrible diseases or find their cancer or whatever it is mm-hmm. that's great yeah I, I think we don't need to dream up any uh extra weird <laughs> ways to use edible electronics on top of the things that have already been suggested by the researchers themselves i mean yeah. uh being able to have something that's a safer option for internal imaging or something that could retrieve foreign objects from the inside of the body. I mean, that alone is a very worthwhile thing to research. So, yeah. m- more power to them. Yeah, I did not <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything getting submerged in ham before this, and now I'm very concerned about it. So, mm-hmm. I'm real glad that people are working on it. 
And I think I think that that's just about all that we have to say yeah, about edible electronics me. today. Yeah. Uh, so wrapping this up, hey, what do you guys think about all this? Do you have a wacky edible electronic that you would like to propose to us? We want to hear about it. If if there's one that we particularly enjoy, we will let we will let the rest of the podcast audience know about it out loud with our voices. So send those in. You can send those in to our email address. It is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. You can visit us on Twitter or Facebook. Our handles in both of those places are also, strangely enough, fwthinking. You can also visit our website if you'd like to. We have a whole series of videos. Do you guys know about those? Joe and I write for them. Jonathan writes sometimes. He's the host of all of them. They're great. They're produced by this guy named Dan Bush, who's really nice. He has an adorable baby. So go check those out. And uh, <laughs> we hope to hear from you. Either way, you will hear from us again very soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.